Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am very excited. We are announcing that April is officially Healthy Puppy Month. Love it! Good Dog has partnered with our friends at Revival Animal Health to support the Morris Animal Foundation and their parvovirus research efforts specifically. Starting tomorrow, April 1st, you can visit healthypuppymonth.com to learn more about parvovirus, hear stories from parvo survivors, and join us in our mission to promote puppy health by signing the Healthy Puppy Pledge. For every signature, Good Dog and Revival will each donate a dollar to Morris Animal Foundation. You can find more information in the show notes. With that, I am very excited to introduce our guests today. We have Dr. Judy Stella, who is the head of health standards and research here at Good Dog. We also have Kelly Deal. She's the senior director of science and communications at Morris Animal Foundation. So welcome, ladies. Thanks so much. Excellent. Kelly, I am super excited to have you on the show. I love the Morris Animal Foundation, and I want everyone to know about it. So tell us your story. Tell us the story of your organization that I think not nearly enough people know about. Well, we've been around since 1948, so a long time. And I think you're right. A lot of people don't know about us. And we were started by a veterinarian, Dr. Mark Morris, hence the name, senior. And Dr. Morris He was one of the first practitioners, for example, to actually do just small animal Mm. in the 1920s. And he was very concerned, though, about research that benefited animals for animal health. I think, as you can imagine, I mean, until recently, animals were used for research, but that research did not necessarily benefit them at all. And he felt like we need to change this. And so he started the foundation and set up our endowment and created us as a research organization. And of course, we started with dog and cat funding, but we moved to horses in 1959 and wildlife in 1967. So we have several funding buckets. See, I didn't even know you did wildlife. That's crazy. Very cool. Yep. Not necessarily conservation, but, you know, real wildlife Mm -hmm. health concerns that Mm -hmm. it's super hard to get funding for. Right. Absolutely. So give us an idea of some of the projects that you're working on right now. Right. Well, we have a lot. Maybe we'll start with some of the more unusual ones. We have several projects that we just funded in horse behavior, which is really fascinating. So we're doing some stuff with horse behavior and including donkey pain. So looking at pain in donkeys, I mean, just something I'm sure People would go, well, of course, they probably have pain, but we don't know a lot about donkeys and how they manifest pain. So we have some horse behavior, donkey studies, 
We've got a lot of studies looking at amphibians. And I think a lot of people have heard of chytrid fungus, which is wiping mm -hmm. out amphibian populations around the world. So we've actually got a lot, a big push. As you can imagine, that's grant requests we get from a lot of folks who are looking at all different aspects from looking at the fungus to we have someone doing probiotics. And you may wonder, how do you give a frog probiotic? You dip them in it. And oh my gosh. <laughs> and, my uh, frog went swimming in a probiotic. Right. And then releasing them again. And we also have some people trying to optimize conditions to raise endangered amphibians in mm -hmm. captivity for mm -hmm. potential release. So that's some of our interesting wildlife stuff. We've got some cat behavior studies going on. So again, looking at cat behavior, we have lots of cancer studies. And I think many people come to us because we've had a lot of cancer research, both dog and cat, for a number of years. And we have several cancer studies, one looking at immunotherapy. You mentioned the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study. That's the only study we're funding in-house. And it's a cancer risk study, and we can talk about that later. So we've had like a huge portfolio with a lot of different pieces moving here. Yes. And I just think it is really amazing. The Golden Retriever Lifetime Study to me is just someone mentioned it on one of my other podcast interviews and I had never heard of it. And I just think it's fabulous. Can you give people just like a this much? And then I want to talk about the one that is specific to what we're working on, which is the part of a research study. Absolutely. So in a nutshell, the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, as I mentioned, was conceived of as a cancer risk study. Goldens, unfortunately, have a high incidence of cancer as a breed. We knew that. And they're very popular breeds. So we knew we could get enough dogs. And we enrolled 3,044 dogs, golden retrievers between the age of six and about two years of age. The study started in 2012. So we are nine years into this. And we've only lost about 300 dogs. And that's unfortunately through death and attrition. But as you can imagine, these dogs are entering middle age and we're losing a lot to cancer. Mm -hmm. So watching all of that very, very closely. And the owners and the veterinarians who care for the pet every year fill out this extensive questionnaire, well over 100 pages of questions. 100 pages? 100 pages. And that's just not one question. I mean, it's a lot. Plus, wow. we collect blood, feces, hair, nails, and urine every year and bank these samples. So by the time we're done, we figure we'll have at least 5 million data points. That includes answers to questions plus biological samples. It's a $32 million study by the time we're done. And we are funding it. And we fund it mostly through private donations. So it's a heavy lift. But the idea is once we get through the other end, we will have really good data on how these dogs live their lives. We don't intervene. We just ask questions and they live their life. And we're hoping to be able to identify, like I said, cancer risk factors. But we don't look at just cancer. We look at everything, every disease that you can imagine. And these samples and data are available to researchers. Unbelievably cool. So Judy, you had some questions for Kelly about the Parva research study that they're working on, which I think is also very interesting. Yeah. So as we cited at the outset, we are excited to be part of Happy Puppy Month and to be involved in this and promoting that, of course. And one of the things that we're focusing on is parvovirus. So Kelly, most people understand parvovirus and know what it is, but in case anybody doesn't know what it is, can you give us just why that's so important for healthy puppies? 
Absolutely. And interestingly, the foundation has a long history with funding parvovirus research. Way back when this horrible disease first cropped up in 1978, parvoviruses had been around. The misnamed feline distemper virus is right. <laughs> actually a parvovirus. It has nothing to do with canine distemper. And probably people think canine parvovirus, the bad guy that caused disease, evolved actually from feline parvovirus. So this horrible disease comes up. People at Cornell, who we're working with in the new study we're funding, so it's come full circle. These wow. guys at Cornell at the Baker Institute were kind of one of the premier places looking at viruses in dogs. And as I've talked to some of their researchers there who have been there since 1978, they said we would get samples from all over the country of dead dog tissue going, tell us what happened. Mm -hmm. And they looked for funding and Morris was one of their funders at that point, just pouring money into mm -hmm. them to try to figure out what this disease was. And we funded them for several years. So canine parvovirus is a parvovirus, parvo meaning small. And there are lots of parvoviruses and they're very species specific. And parvovirus really likes to kind of grow in rapidly dividing cells, which where do you have a lot of them? In your GI tract, which is why we see signs like vomiting and that horrible, bloody, stinky diarrhea that they have. And it just attacks all these cells that are trying to grow and the parvovirus is there. It also affects bone marrow, which is mm -hmm. another rapidly dividing cell tissue, which is why we see low white counts. So sometimes that's I mean, that's how we diagnose it a lot. These puppies, young dogs come in, they've got horrible bloody diarrhea, which has a particular smell. Sorry, gross and Anyone out. who has ever smelled parvo, I have, will right. never, ever, ever forget it. Right. So you okay. see that <laughs> and you couple it with a low white count and you probably have your diagnosis, even though we, there are a bunch of tests out there to confirm. So that's parvovirus kind of in a nutshell. And the good news was vaccines followed pretty quickly. As soon as they knew it was a virus and could identify it, vaccines were developed. And some of our funding kind of went to that. We were like just giving like a pile of money over there. And we were one of many. I mean, AKC was really involved in this push as well back in the late 70s into the early 80s. So on we go. Vaccine is good. We know that. I'm old enough yes. to remember when parvovirus first came out. And I'll be honest. Same here. Same here. And yeah. I remember it. It was bad. People's uh, dogs in our we, neighborhood. We dying. had puppies from parvo litters. I mean, we were breeding dogs in the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, my family lived it. Yeah, I mean, hell. it was bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Really bad. And so we got vaccines and they've been very good. However, it's not like we don't see parvovirus, right? And we still see it. Usually it's unvaccinated puppies. It's puppies in the middle of their series sometimes. And there have been floating for a long time as a veterinarian. And you'd hear this buzz, are the vaccines effective? Are we getting mutations? And we definitely identified that this virus has mutated over time. And let's face it, we all know about COVID and mutants and variants, right? <laughs> So I think people are really probably well educated on that phenomena and it just happens over time. And the bottom line has been, and we've been very lucky that our vaccines seem to be fine for these variants that have cropped up, but it still happens. And you'll hear this buzz. Is there a vaccine break? Is the vaccine still effective? It's been tweaked over time, but not in a major way. It went through a couple of iterations in the 80s and then mm -hmm. kind of is the 
stuff we have now. So the group in Cornell are good friends who are still <laughs> working on this. And in fact, one of the co-PIs was a guy I interviewed and he was a postdoc when the first Parvo hit and he's now the head of the Baker Institute. Nice. So it's nice to talk to Dr. Colin Parrish and he is mentoring actually one of his students, high level student, is doing this particular study and what they're looking at. And I think, again, COVID has given us the language to discuss this. They're looking at variants and they're doing something like we're talking deep, deep, deep dive into looking at dogs who come in the clinic who are vaccinated. And they're looking at their antibodies to parvovirus. So they're going to sift them out, find them, and actually look at parvovirus variants. And let's face it, they've been banking them for 40-some years. And they're going to look at what they have, and they're going to look at these dogs just coming through the clinic, not sick dogs, Mm -hmm. just coming in who've been vaccinated, and they're going to look at their serum and their antibodies and say, what are these antibodies reacting to? Which we are talking heavy, heavy duty molecular biology, right down to subcellular level to look at these molecules and say, what on the virus? And I think people know about COVID and the spike, right? Like (laughs) antibodies to the spike. But what is it on parvovirus that these antibodies are reacting to? And is there cross-reactivity with all these variants they see? Like maybe it's better against this variant, the vaccine, than this variant. And so they're taking like a really, really deep dive looking at this and looking at where does the protection come and are they seeing maybe some shifts? Like the dog's not sick, but maybe the vaccine's not quite hitting all the variants that they can identify. And things drift over time. So that's kind of a really high level. And I've read this grant a lot. And trust me, the molecular biology, like it boggles my mind. But that's it in a nutshell. They really go on to look at the molecules, the antibody molecules, and see in which ones work the best. And do they have cross-reactivity? It's the biggest study in Parvo we've funded in quite a while. And it's really taken a close look at these variants. And I think the ultimate goal of this is a couplefold. One is, can we make better vaccine? Is our vaccine actually okay? Are we going to see breaks? Are things mutating and maybe we're just getting lucky and we're not seeing a lot of disease? But that would be one thing to look at the vaccine efficacy. The other thing that they're doing is it actually is a model to understand canine immunity from a higher level, like looking Mm -hmm. at a model system. They're hoping to answer maybe some questions about, well, how does the immune system work in the dog and using Parvo as a model? So some about the efficacy Mm -hmm. of vaccines, some about how dogs' immune systems work. The third, which is kind of intriguing, is, again, people know about neutralizing antibodies, right? People (laughs) who have recovered. Can we use their serum to treat? And Mm -hmm. they're looking like maybe we can figure out what configuration of antibody is the best could that ultimately be a treatment? Is oh, it wow. get from dogs? Or can we make, and this is really like science fiction, a sci-fi sort of off-the-shelf product that you could give a dog, a puppy, and really help them out? Because what do we do now? We Tamiflu them. is about all that I've heard that was useful. Well, yes. In some instances, though, it's never panned out as being right. great. And so what we do now is we support these dogs 
because they're losing massive amounts of fluid. So what mm-hmm. do we t- treat these guys with? Fluids. We give them antibiotics because everybody knows about the gut microbiome too. Like we are not alone. <laughs> and if their intestinal barrier isn't good because the cells are just sloughing off as fast as they can be formed, the bacteria can get in the bloodstream and people mm-hmm. probably have heard of something called sepsis, yeah. which can bacteria are everywhere. And you got no white cells because guess what? The parvo's right. knocking those out too. Right. So we support them with like antibiotics and I've used everything from, I mean, we've had a lot of stuff come and go. Plasma, like maybe plasma is good. Sometimes we use that. Antibiotics, obviously. There's fecal transplants now kind of out yeah. there. Mm. Might, might be good, but all kinds of things. But it's expensive. These guys spend a lot of days in the hospital. We and poor them. outcome almost no matter what. Right. So if we had maybe an off-the-shelf product that worked a little faster, maybe that would be that would be great. So I think this study has a lot of moving parts, but it could answer a lot of questions, both specifically for parvovirus, both about the dog immune system, and finally, this sort of pie in the sky, but maybe an antibody product that mm-hmm. would work to treat these guys. So Judy, this partnership that Good Dog has with Revival Animal Health to help fund this amazing work. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we partnered with Revival because we just want to get the word out there that this is such an important thing that, you know, we really need to do all that we can to protect our puppies while they're going through that transition from when maternal antibodies are wearing off to when they're fully vaccinated. So we are working with Revival to get the word out. We want to have everybody join us in our pledge to do all that we can to make sure that we have healthy puppies and we raise them to be behaviorally, physically, emotionally healthy. So part of what we're doing at Good Dog is getting the word out, talking to Kelly and having podcasts like this. We're also going to have some educational materials for breeders to give to puppy owners so that, you know, again, it's got to be this holistic kind of thing where the breeders have to do their part and the puppy owners have to follow through and do their part. And so we want to get all this information out there. So yeah, look for more of that to come on the good dog side of things. And we'll be on social media and working with Revival and Morris to get the word out. Excellent. Kelly, I think one of the most amazing things about what you were just talking about is the potential, what Judy just said, to impact the long-term health and safety of all of our puppies, both as breeders and as puppy owners. Yeah, absolutely. I think this study, again, is really (laughs) exciting from several different points. And it's getting underway. It's obviously a good group. A little like lesser side benefit, but something that's important to Morris is this is a fellowship grant. So this is training a future researcher as well, which we know in veterinary medicine, there's a real lack of people, unfortunately, going into veterinary research. And Mm -hmm. so that's another little side benefit. Like it fires on a lot of different cylinders, which makes us happy. (laughs) You know, when you get that win-win and then it's win-win-win-win-win-win-win, that's a huge bonus. And I'm very excited to follow this. I'm thrilled for Morris Animal Foundation to be involved in this. And I'm very happy to see Good Dog and Revival Animal Health joining forces putting together an opportunity. So all y'all sign up. We're going to have the website that you can sign up and everybody that signs up at healthypuppymonth.com 
Every signature, Good Dog and Revival, will each donate a dollar to the Morris Animal Health Foundation. And that goes a long way to making everybody's life better. Absolutely. And we really appreciate the funding. Like I said, this project, for example, is a $100,000 project. And that's our average cost for every study that we fund. Because that's just the way it is, right? So um, we need 50,000 signatures. Chop, chop, people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it would be great. Everything helps. And that's what I would want people to know. Everything helps that we get. And what is nice is I mentioned our endowment before. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that pays a lot of our administrative costs at the foundation and pays salaries. And that way we can put donations to fund studies. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Very much appreciate your time. Judy, thank you for joining us. Kelly, thank you for sharing information about your fabulous, fabulous organization. And I need 50,000 signatures, people. Get on it. (laughs) Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is g-o-o-d-d-o-g dot com slash join or click the link in the show notes.